Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NFL strategy show. I'm back with you so soon. Talking matchups. Week 14, first 13 game slate of the season. It's going to be intense. I'm Dave Lochran on Twitter at Lafay underscore D-L-O-U-G-H-Y underscore D. Breaking everything down with Matt Savoka. Follow the man at Draftaholic. And of course, check out both of his amazing articles at awesome.com, both of which are free and shouldn't be the matchups column and the data deep dive. What's going on, Matt? Hey, so happy to be here. Huge slate this weekend. All teams done with their buys. We're through with that. And hey, I just want to make a quick pitch for the matchups column this week. I'm sure all of you love the 18,000 word essays I was bringing every week, but we got a brand new format with over 100 charts and tables for you. Uh, It's giving you some of the stats that I've been talking about every week, like X projection and fantasy points allowed over opponent average. It's all built in there. Tons of info, info on every fantasy relevant player. Really stoked to bring it out this week. And you guys can find it at awesome.com and I hope you do. All right, man, we got 13 games. We agreed prior to the show that we were going to keep it a little bit more concise than we usually do because, look, 13 games, that's a lot for anyone. That's a lot for us, and it's a lot for you guys watching the show. We're happy to have you with us as always. Hit that thumbs up, and if you like what we do here, you want to help support us, subscribe that channel or subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you hate it, just click on subscribe. You never have to deal with us again. You'll never even see us again. But if you like our shows, if we helped you, maybe you won some money watching some shows. We helped you change your thought process as it relates to playing DFS, whether it's Adam or Alex or or Matt or any of these guys. Well, that's the easiest way to help support us. So do so and uh, help us get to 50K. Got a little ways to go. We're almost at 44,000, but we're making that push. All right, man. You ready to make this happen? Let's roll. So excited. All right. (laughs) Catch your breath. Buckle your seatbelts. Pour a cup of coffee, grab a sandwich, and get ready to rock. It's Tennessee and Jacksonville. The uh, Jacksonville Jaguars are uh, 7.5-point dogs at home, 52.5-point total. Yesterday on the on the uh, ownership show, Matt Kajeski and I joked about Jacksonville just find a ways to co- finds ways to cover every time. And I think it was someone that mentioned, no, they don't. They're 6-6 six and six against the spread on the season, and he would be accurate. But – I think recency bias sets in, or at least my memory, they're four and one covering their last against the spread over their last five games. 
and many of those games they were considerable double digit dogs so seven and a half point dogs to this week 52 and a half point total though matt pretty significant going up against the tennessee team that between them and their opponents are averaging more than 60 points on the season yeah, and you've said it multiple times on this show that the Titans find themselves in shootouts consistently, and it's an offense that we want to target, and we often want to target the offenses going against them. I mean, look no further than Baker Mayfield's breakout performance last week. My goodness, what a first half for him. So with the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, I wonder if it's, it's a situation where not only recency bias is coming into play, but the fact that they're on their third quarterback, and usually when we see a team going to their third string quarterback, we're seeing terrible, terrible performances. And the bottom line is the Vikings needed overtime to beat the Jaguars last week. And so, you know, you're seeing at least competent quarterback play from Mike Glennon. So uh, the bottom line is this line looks like the Titans are going to dominate, but they believe that the, the Vegas Lions believe that Jacksonville is going to be able to keep up at least to some extent. Now, I think there's also going to be some of this public, bias of Derrick Henry playing in December versus the Jaguars kind of coming into this game naturally you know even though he has the third highest salary on the slate I think you're just going to see a lot of people gravitate to the safety of Henry and in tournaments I think we want to move off of that idea and even go back with the Jaguars side even in the passing game yeah there's a lot of Derrick Henry love late in the season and look if history has dictated anything, it's that, yes, Derrick Henry has been good late in the year. But with sample sizes so small, being great late in the year for two or three straight seasons is a lot different than, like, LeBron James getting to the finals 4,700 times in a row. There's no doubt about it. But um, is this – Matt, let's let's put it in context or in perspective. Is this a really good spot for Derrick Henry to go insane? Yes. I don't think anyone's denying that. But is it also a game – very similar to last week where I, I was urging people look at it from a different angle. We brought TJ Hernandez on for on the contract and he really nailed it talking about the sure Cleveland did. Browns passing game. Uh, look at this one from a different perspective. Both teams sure they like to pass or run the ball a ton, but things can change quickly. And when the Cleveland goes up early, they are forced to resorting to throwing the football. So uh, as it stands right now, Derrick Henry's ownership around 14%. That is the sixth, so seventh highest at the running back position. So it's not crazy, pretty flat ownership across the board on a 13-game slate. But I do think there are some ways to differentiate, and it could be going to other pass catchers in this game on either side. For sure. You know what? The Jaguars' defense is still one of the worst defenses against every single position. So if you look at fantasy points allowed over or under opponent averages, one of my favorite stats there is, Of course, Derrick Henry grades out fantastically, but so does Corey Davis. So does A.J. Brown. You know, again, A.J. Brown's salary is like is is completely cost prohibitive. It's he's within the top 10 wide receivers and he still has a projection that puts him in the top 15 or top 20. So that's really hard. So I'm all for Corey Davis. Uh, who basically has the same target share, same air yard share, depending on how many weeks back you're looking in the season. You know, my data deep dive, it looks like Corey Davis has the slight lead over the last eight weeks, but over the last five weeks, Brown has a slightly higher opportunity share. So uh, again, it's very hard to play AJ Brown just because of the salary 7,300 this week. But again, it might be one of those pay up to be contrarian moments. AJ Brown could have two touchdowns and hundred yards easily, easily in this fantastic matchup. No question. And, hey, 
we got to give James Robinson credit. He is fourth in the league in scoring at fantasy scoring, fantasy points at the running back position. And when you consider this is a team that doesn't score nearly as much as the Saints, uh, as the Minnesota Vikings, as the Tennessee Titans, as Kamara, Dalvin Cook, and Henry are all one, two, and three, respectively. James Robinson deserves immense credit for what he's been able to do. By the way, I did not think Alvin Kamara was number one in fantasy points at running back. Wow. Uh, Still, that's a huge beginning of the season that did it for him, huh? Yeah, certainly did. Only 673 rushing yards, but there you have it. Uh, But yeah, James Robinson is someone that I'm always going to be willing to go back to. And one of the reasons is even if the game kind of gets out of hand, he's going to be the only guy catching passes out of the backfield too. Um, Who are your favorite plays from this game? I really like this game. I think there's multiple ways to approach it, to attack it. I do too. And if I'm making multiple lineups or I'm mass multi-entering, I'm doing all sorts of variations. I'm doing Tannehill stacks. I'm even doing some Glennon stacks. But I don't know how you could get away from James Robinson, even though he has some of the highest ownership projections of any position this week, this weekend. At 7,500 for a player that is basically game script proof, now, we did see the Jaguars mixing in some back, uh, some backup running backs in a way that they haven't previously last week. I'm not too concerned about that. You talked about it just a moment ago. He's still top 10 in quality opportunities per game on a terrible team that never gets to the goal line. So usually we're saying, hey, there has to be touchdown upside for a running back. Not true with James Robinson. And I'm really fine, especially if you think the Titans are going to score a ton of points here, that the second half may be out of hand, or even if they keep the game close, that Mike Lennon is forced to throw. And then I'm looking at DJ Chark and even LaVishka Chenault, who had that crazy touchdown that skidded off somebody's back. Yeah. I, I, it was a, pretty nuts. Oh. But he's got a, a salary of 4100 that's barely inside the top 50 receivers. In a high total game, take a chance on that in a tournament. No problem. Yep. And I'm willing to spend a little more time on this game because there's other games in this slate that we are not going to be spending nearly as much time on. But you check this out. Like, Titans last week allowed 41 points. They allowed um, 26 points to Indy, but that game saw a total of 71. We saw 76 total points the game last week against Baltimore, which should have been a lower-scoring game. 54 points, Matt. Uh, 51 against Indy. Uh, only 41 against Chicago, but what do you expect? 51 against in Cincy, 51 Pittsburgh, 78 Houston, 68 Buffalo, 61 Minnesota, 66 Jacksonville. So that's going all the way back to week two. Ultimately, all I'm saying is Tennessee has been involved in so many high-scoring games this season, and when they're involved in low-scoring games, it's 50 points still. It's still 53, 54 points. It's not like 35, 40 points outside of one game against Chicago. And, of course, week one in that weird night game or Monday night, late Monday night game against, uh, I think it was week one. Denver, I believe, yeah. It was Denver, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. and – and uh and Vic Fangio decided not to it was all sorts of wacky and they yeah. rushed Fangio Derrick didn't Henry call and... any timeouts they yeah got that's right with like 10 seconds it was so dumb what I'm saying though is number <laughs> one AJ Brown might not play uh he came back into that game but the ankle injury didn't look good and now he didn't practice yesterday pay a lot of attention to his status today Corey Davis could become an exceptional option especially considering AJ Brown's price point just seems a little bit too high Corey Davis 5700 He's actually been pretty damn good this year. He has 300-yard performances over his last six games. So do with that as you will. Uh, Matt, I just think there's there's a lot to like here. And I'm willing to look at the ground game, but I'm also willing to bank on a shootout. 
there's no right or wrong way to approach this is what I would say to close it out. Yeah, have some game theory thoughts here and and think about how the public is going to play this. It's pretty obvious what the big, simple spots are in this game. If you want to get creative based on the size of the tournament you're playing, do so. I mean, if you're looking at uh, the defensive matchup, even for the Jaguars passing side, in my expected projection, which looks at expected fantasy points and then compares it to the defensive matchups, fantasy points allowed under or over opponent average, he comes in in the top three quarterbacks. Now, the median projection on Osmo puts him right in line with salary expectations, but that's just to give you an idea of the ceiling that's there. Perfect for, for tournaments. All right, man. We've got Houston and Chicago. Houston um, on the road against this Bears team is laying one and a half points, 45-point total. I'd say there's a little bit to like in this game, but not nearly as much as the last one. 45-point total is low uh, for 2020 football. There's no question whatsoever. But Deshaun Watson is continuously putting up very respectable fantasy point totals. He is expensive, though. Uh, and with Will Fuller sidelined for the rest of the year, we saw Brandon Cook's price tag rise above 6,100. Disappointing game last week where Kike Cutie was the one that put up the big game. And I'm not necessarily sure uh, what Brandon Cook's status is going to be heading into this game. So what are you doing with the Houston Texans in Chicago? Well, I'm continuing to believe in Deshaun Watson at least a little bit. I still think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. If you look at it from a metric pr- perspective, that certainly backs things up. But you know, fifth in expected fantasy points and scoring more fantasy points per game over expectation, you know, puts him in the top six quarterbacks. I I don't love the matchup. You know, the Bears are in the bottom five, or excuse me, top five in fantasy points allowed under opponent average. But I think Watson makes sense as a cash quarterback. He has a projection right in line with salary-based expectations. And I think the floor is incredibly high here, even against a solid Bears defense. I love the pace of play for the Texans, even though you expect that to go down just a little bit. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you look at Osmo's advanced stats tool, they're within the top 10 in pace and the bottom five in rush rates. That means that giving they're giving Deshaun Watson the ball most of the game and basically forcing him to make things happen. So beyond that, you know, you got to give credit to Kiki Kuti. I think you could go back there too. He's got a salary outside the top 30 wide receivers and his ownership looks fairly low again. I'm actually surprised by that. You know, 5000 salary for him. I'm completely fine stacking Watson and QT. And let's talk for a minute about Chad Hansen. I know most people haven't heard about Chad Hansen, but he had five catches for over 100 yards in his first game played since 2017 when he played for the Jets. So if that's a name you haven't heard, definitely look that up. Uh, 
there's actually a small possibility he may stay on the practice squad for this game, which I think is nuts. If you come in in your first game since 2017 and get 100 yards from Watson, I think you've earned the right to get back on the field. But Randall Cobb could be coming back soon, and we could see more of David and Duke Johnson. That said, I didn't mention Brandon Cooks. I still think that he has a possibility in this game, but the fantasy points allowed under opponent average doesn't look good for him at all. And uh, I just think there are better spots here. I'm surprised to see him in the top five of expected ownership of wide receivers this week. Wow, Hanson played 92% of snaps. Yeah, I have a That's- full-time player. That is crazy. Wow. Okay. That that's a good call, Matt. If he if he does get brought, if he is on the field this week, uh, it certainly appears that there could be some opportunity with the Chicago Bears hosting the Houston Texans. We had David Montgomery last week pay off as chalk. He had two scores. Again, not a particularly efficient game once again, but that's not what we should be expecting him from him at this stage. Uh, only 4.2 yards per carry, but 17 for 72 on the ground. He also hauled in four, all four targets for 39 yards. But again, it was those two rushing touchdowns that really paid dividends. Aside from that, I will say this defense is not good in Houston, and they have some serious holes uh, in both phases of the D. Allen Robinson is still sub-7K, and while last week was was somewhat disappointing, he's – Against Houston, I, I can't help but look at this as a spot where he could really excel no matter who's at the helm uh, at quarterback. I mean, we've been saying it for as long as Allen Robinson has been in the league. He's held back by his quarterback. Boy, this is a smash spot, though. Fantasy points allowed under, excuse me, over opponent average, almost five points per game, more than opponent averages for the Texans in the passing game. And it's even worse in the rushing game. They're 31st in the league in fantasy points allowed over opponent average. And then when you look at expected fantasy points, actually Allen Robinson and David Montgomery are taking up a huge amount of the percentage of the Bears expected fantasy points. And you have to assume because of the style of their offense, they're right around expectation, not overperforming. But I'm fine planting a flag on Allen Robinson as a he's only the 12th highest wide receiver in salary this week at 6800. I mean, I'm completely fine with him. I'm rooting for Mitchell Trubisky in that in that case, and I never really like doing that. But, man, I, he's easily one of the top 12, and I think in this matchup he could, you could say he's one of the top five receivers in the league, no problem. Yeah, it's going to be tough to get away from him. We've got his ownership coming in around 13%. Again, very flat ownership with so many games on this slate. Uh, Trubisky coming in around 5.5%. That makes sense to me. Uh, Montgomery's up there again at 16%. His price has now risen almost a thousand, or no, exactly a thousand dollars from last week. Uh, just quickly, does that change your opinion on him? With seeing a thousand dollar increase now being priced up amongst the likes of, you know, some other pretty talented uh, running backs. He's now priced correctly. I think I wrote my matchups column last week that he was fundamentally mispriced based on his expected usage. And now he's just priced correctly. He's in the top 10 in quality opportunities per game among running backs. And he's 10th in salary among running backs of running backs expected to play right now. That is Uh, the Osmo median projections have him right in line with salary based expectations. Whereas last week it was in another stratosphere way ahead. But even if you look at expected fantasy points, he's still right there. So I, I have no problem going there, especially with the matchup. It's not point chasey, but <laughs> anecdotally trusting David Montgomery two weeks in a row, tough to do. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. 
I do want to move on to Denver and Carolina, though, because we've got a, a, a lot of question marks heading into this game, and we're going to address all of them right now. The Denver Broncos are three-point dogs on the road. Carolina, again, laying a field goal here, 45.5-point total. Another game that uh, we should anticipate being pretty low scoring. Now, Mm -hmm. DJ Moore was placed on the COVID-19 list. Um, He's trending in the right direction, though, as far as his ankle goes. I don't know what's going on as far as him playing. So I think he should be able to – he should be able to return if he can return enough negative tests. But I still don't know, Matt, and I don't know about Curtis Samuel – who's also on the COVID-19 list. And then what's pissing me off the most, because I got into the playoffs in a dynasty league that I came in second place last year because my dumbass forgot to start Derrick Henry when I thought I did, and I lost by two points. Yeah, really bad stuff. It's embarrassing. I shouldn't have even admitted that. Um, It was on MFL, and I just... I get in without the services of Christian McCaffrey all season, right? Impressive stuff. And I'm like, yes, I get him back. And then I realize he has a bye week in week 13. And then he's finally expected to be back. And he hurts his quad or he hurts his thigh. Thigh, yeah. I, 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 we can't catch a break with this, man. So I don't even know. He was definitely looking like he was going to be back. And now it appears that he probably won't be. And that sucks. It sure does. I mean, the league is better with Christian McCaffrey in it. Yes, it's been kind of fun from a value standpoint talking about Mike Davis and how he's overperforming compared to expectations. But I want Christian McCaffrey in the game. I want Christian McCaffrey in the league. So uh, it's just better that way. Bottom line is, you know, this is why some of the analytically focused people on Twitter start to say things like running backs don't matter is because it's tough when you're holding the rock 30 times a game to not get nicked up. And it just happens to be that kind of randomness hitting Christian McCaffrey this year. Do I think he's injury prone all of a sudden? Absolutely not. But boy, this is a tough game to project right now with just so many question marks, you know, excuse me, Curtis Samuel has a great matchup. Theoretically, if you look at tertiary wide receivers, but I don't know if he's going to be able to play. I don't know. You know, it was starting to look at the beginning of this week where Christian McCaffrey and Robbie Anderson were going to be part of this consolidated offensive core that, you know, even in a mediocre matchup versus the Broncos defense, I would still be all over. Now it's really tough to project. And I will say this, if they're missing one of Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore and they're missing Christian McCaffrey, I think you're at a breaking point with this Carolina Panthers offense where you just may stay away from them because they're going to go below expectations. I'm fine saying that Robbie Anderson is, is a good value play, even at the, you know, even in that circumstance at 6,200, just inside the top 20 wide receivers and salary. But it just doesn't excite me. Like some of these other places that we've already talked about, if they get the boys back together, then we're talking about a different story. If McCaffrey's back in and at least two of the three of those wide receivers are playing, sure, I'll have some places and tournaments where I go to them. But it's not that exciting for me. Yeah, and um, A.J. Boye's out for the season, too, with uh, that suspension. You'd think that, hey, okay, that helps a little bit. The Broncos had already struggled in in, in the secondary pass defense, but – it's you're right. If, if all those guys are out, this offense is going to stall. If Christian McCaffrey sits, I might still be willing to look to Mike Davis because maybe they just use him as an extension of the run early and often and just dump the ball off to him as much as humanly possible. But 
it's not like his price point is all that friendly. He's 6,400. That's fine. But I'd say he would be priced appropriately. Now, if he becomes really the only option outside of Robbie Anderson that we can turn to, we, other than like Brandon Zilstra or something, then I'd be, I'd be willing to, to entertain that notion. But sure. I, I can't say I'm excited about it. And I can't say I'm stoked about anything on the other side when you're talking Broncos because, you know, Melvin Gordon last game, 15 carries, 131 yards. Let's give the man some credit. It was a huge game on the ground in and, and that loss to Kansas City, and they stayed competitive for a pretty long time. Uh, Phillip Lindsay had 14 attempts, though, in that game. I don't really feel like guessing which one of these guys on a bad offense is going to get the bulk of carries. Maybe you do. Maybe you maybe you're interested in the passing game here, but it just it's not a very friendly spot in a low total game. Is there anything that stands out to you here? Uh well, Melvin Gordon is popping a little bit. I noticed in my data deep dive that from an elusiveness standpoint versus the amount of touches overall he's had this season, he grades out very, very positively compared to running backs in 2015 through 2019. So from a from an elusiveness standpoint, Melvin Gordon's actually having a really nice season. And then when you look at the usage, which is where I use expected fantasy points, he's 23rd amongst running backs. Not fantastic, but his salary is 25th. And then when you look at the matchup where the Panthers have been, you know, up and down this year, but overall they allow uh, almost four points a game over opponent averages. So in my expected projection statistic, Melvin Gordon actually grades out as a top 12 running back. So that's more of an idea of his ceiling, as I said with Deshaun Watson when I mentioned that stat previously. But I think it's not the worst play in tournaments to try with Gordon. But at the same time, I might run, if especially if I'm having multiple lineups, I might also have a Lindsay lineup just to sort of counterbalance that because I'm not sure, as you said, uh, bottom line is Lindsay could have an efficient game too and get the touchdowns and your SOL with Gordon as well. Okay. Yeah. Implied totals in this game. Look, it, it's, it's not friendly for the, for the Broncos. They're at 21. I, I suppose it could be worse. There's conversations are happening right now in chat. Who is worse Carson Wentz or drew lock. Um, <laughs> I'm not willing to give either of them, you know, credit for anything this year, but you know, I'm not going to anoint drew lock as a better quarterback after he has had uh, generally speaking, a pretty awful season. And sure, you can say he hasn't had many options in the passing game. Well, eh, neither does Wentz. And I am right. I have not defended Wentz at all this season. I think you guys know that. I'm just, you know, trying to be reasonable here. Jerry Judy is still probably almost certainly better than Jalen Rager. And Tim Patrick and whatever. It doesn't even matter. No offense. Good. It's not a good football team right now. And the offense is not great. I'd agree with you, though, Matt. If we're going somewhere, Melvin Gordon at that price it's fine with me. I just wish they weren't splitting the workload down the middle in spots like that. Because then you, if you're telling me I could get 20 plus carries from Melvin Gordon when Lindsay's healthy, that is a whole lot more appealing. Absolutely. And, you know, Tim Patrick has seen an increase in usage over the last few weeks. His expected fantasy points versus salary-based expectations looks pretty solid. But again, you're talking about a, a low total game and only a mediocre uh, to decent matchup. Nothing that really pops off the page. So we've got the Minnesota Vikings in Tampa Bay, another game, like I said. Some games we will not spend much time on this one. Well, quite the contrary, friends. Minnesota and Tampa Bay makes for a very, very interesting game for a number of reasons. One, uh, Dalvin Cook has a tough matchup, but he's second in fantasy points on the season at the running back position. 
He's been an absolute stud week in and week out. They're six and a half point dogs, though, on the road. I actually was surprised to see that. I thought this would be a bit of a closer spread. 51 and a half point total. Um, should be relatively high scoring game. And what did this spread open at? Let me just check what this spread opened at. Because it, okay, so it opened at six and a half. All right. Yeah. Hasn't moved. Hasn't even moved. Matt, total dropped a point. But they- it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's it. Either way. Justin Jefferson coming off another big game. Adam Thielen uh, has that two-touchdown upside that we've seen on many occasions. Dalvin Cook, monster breakout potential or monster upside any given week. And then on the other side, while Tom Brady has not been great, we all know that. He's had some struggles. The man has thrown for 28 touchdowns through 12 games, right? And he has one, two, three, four Five of his last like eight starts, he's gone north of three or three or more touchdown passes. So say what you want about the turnovers. Sometimes turnovers can breed better production because the other team gets put in good field position, they score, and now you've got to throw the ball and abandon the run. The question more so is, do we go to Godwin? Do we go to Antonio Brown, who's gotten a lot of opportunities in this offense? Do we go to Mike Evans? Do we go to Ronald Jones? Rob Gronkowski, how about this, is tied for fourth in fantasy points at tight end since week six. So there's that as well. Well, I think that gives you an idea of what a wasteland the tight end position is below the first few people because Gronk hasn't played well this season. It's good to see him earning the type of opportunities he is over the last six or seven weeks because it looks like he's getting open at – Gronk-like rates again, which is exciting. But yeah, exactly like you said, Tom Brady's version of the Buccaneer offense is exactly what you want for fantasy. Yes, it's annoying that he has so many receivers that theoretically could pop in fantasy, but you're looking at a team that, you know, in Osimo's advanced stats tool, they're 32nd in adjusted rush rate and they're fourth in adjusted pace. So they're one of the fastest teams in the league and they pass the most of of anyone in the league. That's perfect for fantasy points. So even if Tom Brady is actually performing under expectation compared to his uh, expected fantasy points per game, just barely, he still grades out as one of the top 10 quarterbacks per game. So I'll go back to him anytime he has even a mediocre matchup. And while the Vikings haven't been as atrocious against the pass as they were in the beginning of the season, there's still a matchup we can target. And we know Tom Brady loves, especially if he gets any kind of man coverage, he'll just pick on a matchup all day long. I'm not exactly sure who that is in this moment, but I certainly like Chris Godwin 
at the 18th highest salary among active wide receivers, 6,300. That sounds exciting. And even Ronald Jones just inside the top 15 running backs. I'll take a chance there for sure in this high scoring game against a defense. I'm not scared of at all. Now, yeah, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say Dalvin Cook's ownership is the lowest we've seen it in weeks. And by lowest, I don't mean, oh, he's down to 20% now. He's down to 15, 10. He's down at 6% projected ownership, but he's also astronomically priced. What are you doing with Dalvin Cook? And do you see there being any leverage to getting to him there if everyone's attacking the passing game, just given how difficult it has been to run the football against this Bucks defense? I think this is an important question considering what we've seen from Dalvin Cook all year long. So we have this safety, this feeling of safety when we play a player like Dalvin Cook in our lineups. We feel like we have this floor of even if things go wrong, we have 15, 20 points from this running back one position. And the bottom line is in order to be out on an island and win a tournament on your own, I'm not sure that's the kind of play. That said, when we have a player getting this kind of usage with this low of ownership, it suddenly flips, even if the matchup doesn't look great. Yes, Tampa Bay is in the top three and basically every rushing metric you can find, including the advanced stats like adjusted line yards and fantasy points allowed below opponent average. They look like one of the top three teams in the league as well. But Dalvin Cook still has the opportunity in a bad game script to get 30 points. I might I might do something where I'm hedging if I'm making multiple lineups where if I believe in the passing game, a couple of lineups like Justin Jefferson or just creating a stack with Cousins and Cousins and Thielen or something like that, that I also have a lineup with Dalvin Cook, even if it doesn't feel as stable as it usually does. Right. I don't want a ton of him here. And the the, the one argument I'd make against it, because I agree with essentially everything you're saying here, the volume changes the entire equation. The, the only thing I'd say, Matt, and, and I'll keep it quick, is there are so many good, like, upper mid-range running backs on this slate. Like, forget about even Henry. You have Jones, Aaron Jones against Detroit, a little bit risky, sure, but because it's a 13-game slate, ownership isn't going to be like 30%, 40% on any of these guys. It's going to be in the teens. Right. Um, I, I was just hoping Drew Brees would come back because Kamara at 7,100 would have been insane. But Eckler against Atlanta, um, even guys like Carson against the Jets, James Robinson against Tennessee. I'm not suggesting all of these players had the same ceiling as Dalvin Cook, but given that the likelihood of Dav- Dalvin Cook hitting his ceiling here is, I don't know, less than it would be against the Jets, uh, I certainly think that there are a lot of really good options in that 6 to 7K range that might keep people off of him, which is why his ownership is down at 6%. Absolutely. And don't be afraid to play the Vikings passing offense as well here I I don't think that the Tampa Bay defense is quite as good as some of the some of the basic statistics say they are in the passing game I'm looking at fantasy points allowed above or below opponent average and they're really just middle of the road so you're talking about in Jefferson and Thielen two top 10 wide receivers and expected points in a fine matchup no problem going there well this game just has so many moving parts and it's going to be so difficult to nail down. So I'm going to, before we move on, I'm going to put it to you like this, Matt. If you're, not even if you're attacking this game, I think we're all going to want some pieces of this game, hands down. But with with that in mind, how do you look to attack? Um, Are you, does does Ronald Jones feel like a decent option to you? 
uh, or do you like this as a, you know, double stack running back like Jefferson, running back Thielen? Because it, or double stacking Minnesota and then taking shots, trying to net, trying to hit on the right Tampa Bay Bucks guy, running it back with, I don't know, Godwin, Brown, Gronk, uh, Evans, who the hell knows? What do you think the best approach is right now before crunching lineups, of course? Sure. And I hate to hedge here just a little bit, but it absolutely depends on the size of the field of the tournament you're playing in. If I'm playing in a larger field tournament, I'm going to get more wacky, more, more stacky with my lineups there. And it, I think I would start actually assuming I'm trying to take down a huge tournament with Kirk cousins and Adam Thielen and maybe a run back of the running backs, just because I know that'll be slightly less owned, but I'm fine with something like Kirk cousins, Adam Thielen, Chris Godwin, and then maybe even throwing in someone like Kyle Rudolph just to get a correlation added onto there as well. Uh, I know Irv Smith is expected to be back. So that's not as excited as before. We were seeing a super consolidated offense in previous weeks, but I think, as you said, a Minnesota passing stack with a with a weird run back is probably how I'm playing large field tournaments. And Ronald Jones getting only 3% ownership. Listen, that is always an unpredictable situation in that backfield. There's no question. But Leonard Fournette has not looked great. He's dropped a lot of passes. Ronald Jones finally gets an opportunity to catch a football. And you know what he does, Matt? He takes it to the house with a beautiful tiptoe down the sideline catch and run. Give that man a round of applause. Uh, He had, what, one reception on two targets for a 37-yard touchdown in that loss to Kansas City. But he had that huge game in Week 10, 192 rushing yards, a 98-yard touchdown run, uh, and a score. So 29 points, 29 fantasy points. I think there's merit to looking at him here. They're they're, they're touchdown favorites. They're six-and-a-half-point favorites. If they do go ahead early, And if they find ways to stymie Minnesota's run game and force Kirk Cousins to throw the ball and make mistakes, this could be a game where Bruce Arians says, I'm going to run Ronald Jones. We've seen it happen in favorable game scripts. Just keep that in mind. Home favorite running backs. We always want, fundamentally, we want home favorite running backs in high total games. And now they're under owned because of uncertainty and, and people want the passing game. Sign me up. For sure, man. And like I said, Leonard Fournette, uh, there's even like you say, Ronald Jones only got nine carries last game. Well, Leonard Fournette got three and he had three receptions for 10 yards. He's not been efficient. No. Arizona, New York Giants. Here we go, man. The Giants playing really good football. Let's give them some credit. They're playing great football right now. Um, they came into Seattle and beat the Seattle Seahawks. The Giants defense, how legit is it right now, Matt? They're one and a half point dogs at home to Arizona, a team that shot themselves in the foot on countless occasions over the last month with a 45 point total. So this is a very low expected, or this is expected to score few or <laughs> expected to see few, let a little scoring, little scoring, a few scoring. How do I say it? Not very few points. We're losing it. Week 14. But how good has the Giants defense been? Hey, it's been uh, way better than it was earlier in the season in my data deep dive over the last week. Uh, last eight weeks, excuse me, it looks like they've been top 11 in the league and expected points added, subtracted per play. And they're pretty much right there in terms of uh, expected points allowed per drive. So we're talking about them. They're clustered with the Bears defense right now, a, t- a 
defense publicly that's given a lot of respect. And they're not far off from the 49ers, who, when healthy, are one of the best defenses in the league. So I completely understand why we're getting a low game total. I think in tournaments, it might be a good idea to get away from the recency bias and see if the Cardinals could get back to their high high scoring ways. But I wouldn't bet on it as the most likely outcome either. Giants are playing well. Yeah, they really are. The question, though, is how do you parlay that information into any fantasy intrigue? Like, does Wayne Goldman, who has been a monster in the touchdown department, being able to get those opportunities in the red zone, does, does he come into play at 5,700, or is there anyone else here that, that intrigues you? Yeah, and then we had Alfred Morris score a, a couple yeah. times last that week, annoyingly. Rumbling, that rumbling touchdown on the one. Hey, I I love Alfred Morris as a, a guy who grew up in Washington. It was, you know, I remember those 2012 days fondly, but I digress. The Wayne Gallman, he's, he's a Jack. I'm sorry. He's just a guy at the running back position and he's 33rd in expected fantasy points. He's basically within a point of his per game expectation. That's 27th in points per game over the last eight weeks. Yeah, he has a salary of 5,700 that's barely inside the top 20. Starting running back inside the top 20 in salary is fine against the Cardinals, but nothing really pops off the page with maybe the exception of Sterling Shepard or Evan Ingram. If they get Daniel Jones back and he's under-owned because of uncertainty, right now the ownership projections say he's going to have less than 5% ownership on the main slate. There's some upside there, especially because of the consolidation of the Giants offense, but I'm not that excited about the running game. I don't think they control the pace or tempo here. Yeah, Gallman's projected for 10% ownership. Everyone else on the Giants, 5% or less. On the opposite side of this game, Arizona, as I've said, they've made some pretty uh, – they've, they've made a lot of unforced errors lately, Matt. And, you know, last week that game, what, 38-28, it really was never competitive. Kyler Murray had that 159 or 58-yard bomb to Dan Arnold to open up the game. And then he didn't complete another pass until, what, 20 seconds left in the half? Maybe even the second half. I can't remember. But uh, the Cardinals, get this, are the highest owned of anyone on this team. The Cardinals' defense at 8%. Aside from that, not a single player, including DeAndre Hopkins, is north of 5%. Wow. I mean, the bottom line is DeAndre Hopkins still has the ability to get 15 targets and 150 yards and a score. I've said this before. If you make a list at the end of every week of what players could score 30 points this week, if you leave DeAndre Hopkins off that list, I think you're doing it wrong. That said, with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, there was a great tweet from NFL Next Gen Stats that showed Hopkins' route tree from last week. And it was egregious. I mean that from a coaching standpoint. It was egregious as they had him just running 10, 15-yard outs, small slant routes, 100% from the left side of the field. In my opinion, if you have a receiver like DeAndre Hopkins, that, by the way, you traded a loaf of bread for, uh, you move him. (laughs) stale loaf of bread. (laughs) You move him all over the field. You get him open no matter what. 
you don't stick to your air raid style and run mesh concepts with him all day long because that is what you came in to do. This is DeAndre Hopkins. This is a freak of nature who already is the only reason you've won any games in the last five because of that incredible Hail Mary catch. So he's fifth in salary right now. The median projections are right in line with there. I kind of want to bet on Hopkins this week with that shoulder starting to feel better for Kyler Murray and it feeling like this Giants defense is good, but not great. I think I might bet in tournaments that the Giants defense turns into a pumpkin and Hopkins finally has a huge game. Fair enough. I'm taking the opposite direction on this. I don't know what to think with Kyler Murray right now. Hey, DeAndre Hopkins, you just laid it out beautifully that, you know, he had eight receptions for 52 yards last week or 55 yards. How, how is that in any way acceptable? Right. You got a guy in DeAndre Hopkins averaging six and a half yards per reception. What? How, what? It makes the, He has gone under 55, 55 yards or less in three straight games, and they can't get the ball to him, as you put it, in spots that can, that can actually find ways to create extra yardage, which he's so good at doing. We call him, you know, the human joystick for a reason. Well, I do. I don't think anyone else does. <laughs> but how many times does it look like he's in a video game? Right. I mean, uh, so many more times. than any other player, basically. For sure. Absolutely. At least any other receiver. Right. And uh, I, I sit here staring at this spot and thinking, you know, I'm I, I get why you'd be willing to bet on him. But there are a couple other guys that we're going to get to in a similar price range at low ownership that I might just turn to instead. But anytime Hopkins is sub five percent ownership, Matt, I'm never going to argue with it. Um, Kenyon Drake is like one percent. He scored last week, but in a low-scoring game, I, I can't get there. I don't understand why you want to be crazy different, maybe in massive field tournaments. And uh, that's really all I have for this game. Yeah, uh, a little bit of Chase Edmonds, maybe, if you're playing a tournament, a uh, large field as well. Like, he's outside the top 35 in running backs, and when he does pop, he usually has – it's usually breakaway touchdowns, and he does often have a higher receiving share in, than Drake. So – you know, if you look at quality opportunities, they're actually pretty even. You know, also in expected fantasy points, Drake is 23rd in the league and Edmonds is 27th. So, you know, they're basically cannibalizing each other's usage there. Uh, Christian Kirk is 4,700. That doesn't excite me either. So, uh, again, I'm only getting to this if I'm playing a bunch of lineups and I'm trying to be really contrarian here. And if I am, I'm trying to bet on that freaking nature, DeAndre Hopkins. Damn right. Uh, You should also bet on the fact that we have the best promo going in the industry right now for a single dollar, one dollar, using the promo code Caruso. You see it at the bottom of the screen with these beautiful new overlays that we have, C-A-R-U-S-O. You get a week of NBA premium content, all of our premium content for NBA. Ownership projections, player projections, the Boomer Bus tool, which is amazing, uh, the fantasy point or the daily strategy videos, the prop betting tool, which is great. Uh, optimal lineup probability tool, all the express features and the lineup builder for $1. So when the regular season begins for $1 using that promo code Caruso, you'll get a full week of premium NBA content. But if you do it now, you'll also get all of the preseason content as well. Like just do it, you know, just do it. If you're a new user. Go and do it for $1. If you hate it, well, you spent $1, but I don't think you will because all of that content for a dollar isn't going to be beat anywhere else in the industry. I can assure you of that, especially not when the tools are built by the number one DFS player in the world. 
He uses those tools himself. You saw him the other day on the Showdown show when the deck or the Des Bryant news came out. He's sitting there adjusting and updating everything with his lineups and with his projections and ownership. And he says, okay, guys, you're good to go. They're updated. So he's doing all of those updates. And that's what makes me feel confident when I'm telling you guys, hey, this is the best thing out there, knowing that they're coming from him. And uh, all of the hard work that these guys put into the articles as well. So check it out. One dollar. Use that promo code Caruso, C-A-R-U-S-O, at checkout. Awesome.com slash join. All right, Matt, Kansas City and Miami. Tyreek Hill, freak of nature. This guy's insane. Uh, 60 fantasy points two games ago. Last week, a little bit underwhelming, but we can get into well, We don't need to. The whole touchdown, not touchdown thing. He's uh, 8,500. It's the most expensive he's been all season long. I guess he was what? Was he 9,100 last week? Wait, was that a, was that a primetime game? It was, wasn't it? Was it yes, it was. Game? Yes. It was. Okay. So pretty much it's the most expensive he's been all season. And the the volume that he's seeing people so often say like hey, he's, he doesn't get the same targets as a, a wide receiver one well 18 14 15 and 11 over his last four i rest my case he's he's expensive though so what are you doing with him mahomes and uh travis kels oh you know what matt i'm sorry i gotta throw this one more thing out there i mentioned it yesterday but not everyone gets to watch all of the shows so i think it's important when you're looking at our top stack tool for nfl if you see that the ownership on a certain quarterback or on a team is high, it doesn't necessarily mean that that is a spot to get away from. For example, Kansas City this week has the highest projected quarterback ownership at 10%. However, their top stack probability is 23%, which is more than twice as high as the next closest team. So they're still getting owned far less then the probability or the likelihood that they become or that they are the top stack in week 14. Matt, it's an important point for anyone using these tools. So I wanted to point that out. Absolutely. Well said. And also, uh, as usual, Alex Baker has already done that hard work for you when you ask the question, well, how do I compare the probability to the salary? He has a value column already for us. And that combines both of those metrics into one column. Like you said, the Chiefs still have almost double the value. Actually, it just looks like more than double the value of the next highest team. That's the Green Bay Packers right now. So uh, this is something I actually want to study a little bit more uh, from a data perspective over the offseason. But I have a theory that when a team like the Chiefs or the Ravens, who have high-profile players like Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, come back to a main slate when they haven't been on for a week or multiple weeks – I think we see a boost in ownership simply because of, and and this is truly just a theory, casual players just wanting to play the main slate with their favorite players or the MVP, just semi-boosting the ownership of these players. That said, you're not point chasing here at all to play the Chiefs' highest ceiling stack in Mahomes and Tyreek Hill against the Dolphins, who, granted, have had a decent defense over the last eight weeks in fantasy points allowed under opponent average they rank top five in the nfl right now but this is a player in tyreek hill who over the last four years of his career every single year finishes well 
above expected fantasy points per game because of the efficiency that's allowed to him by just playing in this offense, by just playing with this quarterback. And oh, by the way, his number two option, Travis Kelsey, is probably the best number two option that you could have in the entire league. I have no problem if you can figure out a way from a salary perspective, trying to just get as many Chiefs in your lineup as possible in a situation where possibly, just possibly, this Miami defense and the fact that they've had some blow-up games over the last few weeks scares people off just enough to keep that ownership low, just a little bit lower than we'd expect. And I think one way to do it is potentially look at someone like Sammy Watkins. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. points are going to be scored. He's cheap. If you're going Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey with Patrick Mahomes, it's going to be tough. You're, you're going to have a difficult time making that work. But there are other ways to do it. You want to talk about secondary or, or tertiary options, then you will find them in there. But, you know, the first attempt is always Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Then you realize, okay, this is a little bit tough. Uh, on the other side, though, you have Miles Gaskin. You have Devontae Parker. I just wish Ryan Fitzpatrick was at the helm. This would be like a potential huge shootout. Maybe Tua can do it. I don't know. Uh, Mike Kosicki, aside from aside from Gaskin, I, I don't anticipate seeing a ton of ownership on these guys, but you might see some stacks with runbacks. Uh, Gaskin at 17% right now. Parker at 9 and Mike Kosicki's around 7%. So they're not going under-owned, I can tell you that much. Yeah, Uh I'm fine with Gaskin, still 5,600. I'm fine playing him pretty much in any game script right now at that price. Just uh, he's sort of in that price range where David Montgomery was. We know the kind of usage, even in a bad, bad game flow where Miami gets down early, we're still probably going to see 20 touches from Miles Gaskin. In fact, I would be surprised if we don't. And ownership projections are saying that that belief is pretty much in line with the public because he's coming in, I believe, in the top five running backs in projected ownership right now. And I completely get it. If you look at expected fantasy points, he comes in in the top 12 running backs. And it's not like the Chiefs have some sort of completely unstoppable defense against the run. They've allowed two points more than opponent averages. That's 22nd in the league. In my expected projections uh, stat, Miles Gassing comes in as a top 10 running back. No problem. All right. Anything else from this one? I, I can't imagine you're super high on that that passing game. Yeah, I'm not. And I was trying to pull it up right here because I looked it up earlier this week that Devontae Parker's splits with Fitzpatrick in the lineup versus Tua Tagovailoa, not unexpectedly, very, very drastic. It, as you mentioned, he just doesn't have the same ceiling as a number one wide receiver, although he does pop in the true weighted opportunity share metric that I use in my data deep dive. He's in a, the top 20 of receivers. The upside isn't that high this week. Sure, could he catch a touchdown? Same with Mike Gusecki, fine. But Gusecki's already up at the top five in salary among tight ends. I know that's still 4,500 total salary, but that's tough price to pay for a touchdown-dependent player. No doubt. All right, Dallas and Cincinnati, as we move this one along, making pretty good time today, Matt. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of us. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> so we didn't have the ownership updated yet. Well, it was updated yesterday, but not for the, uh, the, the whole running back situation in Cincinnati. And it was, it was still in question. The reason we hadn't updated it was because Joe Mixon's status was still in question. Uh, and Gio Bernard's ownership was coming in super low, and I thought to myself, you know, if this is the case, I'm going to have the most Gio Bernard I've had all season, and he'll likely be my highest-owned player, which is insane 
because you wouldn't even need that much to get over the field, but I'd still love the guy because he's 5K. There's no Joe Mixon. Both teams stink, and the Dallas Cowboys have allowed 294 and 307 rushing yards this season in two or two separate games. That's nuts. I, I said on yesterday's show, Matt, to Matt Kajewski and Kyle Dvorak that I heard on the broadcast the other night um, against Baltimore that the 294 rushing yards they allowed was the third most in franchise history. Now, if I heard that correctly, that would mean that the 307 yards they allowed earlier this season is also one of the third most that they've allowed in franchise history. So two of the three highest rushing totals they've allowed as a team in franchise history have both come this season. That is egregious, and I am very much willing to take shots. I don't care if the passing game for Cincinnati is bad. The Dallas Cowboys are trash, and we have a field goal spread here, which just makes me even more inclined to say three and a half point spread. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. I'm okay with that. What are you doing here in this game, Matt? The floor is yours. Well, I saw, I ran uh, the Osmo projections through my own stats as well. And I was happy to see that basically everything lined up with what Alex Baker was thinking and what you just said. You have to take shots on the Bengals here. The defense of the Cowboys is just so egregiously bad that you have to you have to just try and see if you catch lightning in a bottle, especially if you're playing in a tournament. And what's really funny too is that we know anecdotally and even in basic basic metrics like yards per carry that the Cowboys are terrible against the run. But sometimes this is where advanced analytics need to be contextualized because what's really funny is that in fantasy points allowed over or under opponent average, the Cowboys actually grade out mediocre. They're just, they're just league average. But one of the reasons is because they allowed so many rush yards to wide receivers, including that week four game against the Browns where I believe Odell Beckham had a hundred yards rushing, if I'm not mistaken. So that has Ernest Johnson also crossed like a hundred or something crazy. So that has nothing to do with the projection of the running back this in this game. I'm completely fine playing Gio Bernard in basically all types of contests this week, cash tournaments. I think there's a solid upside, especially when you're talking about, 5,000 for a starting running back. That's 29th among active running backs. The Osmo projection has him inside the top 12 this week. He's he's going to be hard to get away from. But even the passing game, if you look at salary-based expectations and then you just look at the projections this week, Tyler Boyd looks like a value. T. Higgins looks like a value. Oh, gosh, do I play A.J. Green? I mean, he's, he's 3,000. That's 80th among active wide receivers tied for it. You don't need much. Not that excited, but you could even go there. No, look, I get it. I get it. The target share has been brutal lately for A.J. Green, but the point you're making is that just because this team is bad doesn't mean that when they're – you can exploit dirt cheap pricing, and I'm willing to do that, especially with someone in Gio Bernard who is a pass-catching back as well. Sure, we haven't seen a ton of that recently, but if anyone's going to be the guy, it's him. Um, And he's just got a gnarly mustache, which – you know, respect to you, Gio. <laughs> respect here's the that way I, here, Here's the way I see it, and it's pretty crazy, right? 
He's $1,000 cheaper than Jamal Williams, okay? DraftKings is overcorrected for so many of these backups after the incident with Aaron Jones and then Christian McCaffrey. Uh, he's almost 1000 cheaper than Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He shouldn't be. I, I, he shouldn't be. Uh, and I know Edwards-Alaire was sick last week, so if you want to make that argument, fine. But he's the same price as Boston Scott. He's cheaper than Tony Pollard. He's cheaper than Devontae Booker. He's cheaper than Naeem Hines and Carlos Hyde and Adrian Peterson. If you're asking me about where there's value, $5,000, $1,000 north of minimum salary against the run defense that has been so bad, like historically bad this season, look no further. Like, especially in a, in a game that has a three-point spread. It'd be different if, if the Cowboys offense was firing on all cylinders and they had a 430-point implied total, but they don't, and I'm willing to go here. What are you doing with the Cowboys? Uh, the first, my gut reaction was they're all priced up for matchup that I'm not sure they're going to be able to exploit. You know, there's that slight, there's that slight pull to play Andy Dalton in a revenge game, but I'm going to stay away here for the most part. I really don't like that. He's priced within the top. He's, I believe 17th among active quarterbacks and salary. And if you look at expected points, expected fantasy points, he's like in the top, he's barely in the top 30. I believe he's 29th right now in expected fantasy points. Yeah. Ezekiel Elliott, who's basically just a volume play. He's banged up. I, I guess if he does play, you're looking at a favorite running back that probably sees at least 17 touches, but I don't know how Ezekiel Elliott, especially in a tournament gets you that excited in 2020. And even Amari Cooper is again, priced up for matchup. He's 16th in salary. It's 6,500. The Osmo projections don't look that good. <laughs> That's median projection. You know, if you take my my expected projection that compares it to the the defensive matchup, their fantasy points allowed under opponent average, it's right in line with salary based expectations. But we have a lot of players at 6,500 who were excited to play. So, uh, 23rd on Osmo's top stack tool, we're not stoked to play Dalton with one of his pass catchers. Maybe Tony Pollard, if we hear reports that Ezekiel Elliott is really banged up, gets exciting. Other than that, it's just CeeDee Lamb. Totally fine with him at 4,800. I'll take a chance there. Other than that, nothing really, really pops off the page. My biggest concern with Zeke is, well, first of all, did you see him get stuffed three straight times in the goal line the other night? I sure did. I, I don't want to digress too much at all right, I'm going to tell this story. So my home league, the one that we, you know, my, me and my buddies care the most about, we have this crazy rule where it keeps everyone involved. Week 13, we call it the bonanza. If you outscore everybody, no matter what your record is, you get into the playoffs. That's the, the way to keep everybody involved. If you outscore everybody. So the Zeke owner was the seventh place team who looked like he might have a shot. And he got stuffed three times. And when I tell you that the lead chat was blowing up because the person going up against him had Amari Cooper, beautiful. That's why we play fantasy. It was great. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. It is. Just be happy it wasn't you, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, I've got to tell you, you mentioned CeeDee Lamb. Michael Gallup's price point to me is another spot where I think can be exploited. He's been – like. You're getting very, very even distribution of targets in this offense re recently. And, you know, the last two games, look, Gallup has 19 targets. That's, yeah. that's he's he's $3,800. He's getting looks far more than he did when Dak Prescott was under center. And, you know, 
it's just it's a spot that I'm willing to look to. If you need salary relief, only eight hundred dollars north of the minimum. I think Gallup makes plenty of sense here. He's had five red zone targets over his last two games as well, which is another thing that we should be looking at. And the target counts, right? Cooper Lamb had nine each last game. Gallup had eleven in week twelve against Washington on Thanksgiving Day. It was Cooper eight, Ceedee Lamb seven, Gallup eight. Uh, and then the week prior to that, it was seven and six for Cooper and Lamb, respectively, and then five for Gallup. So over that three-game stretch, Gallup uh, is tied with Amari Cooper for targets and has more than C.D. Lamb. That cheap, I'm willing to fire some shots and see what happens. I actually really like that call. And the, the matchup-based metrics for tertiary wide receivers against the Bengals looks really nice. So I, I like that call a lot. Super I don't even know if he's a tertiary receiver at this point, though. Like, is there anybody that's really getting priority action here in Dallas right now? I think no. it would still have to be Amari, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and and when I talk, when I look at it for the matchup-based metrics, I do it based on DraftKings' salary. So he's third in line. Gotcha. So that's gotcha. the reason I say it. Makes sense to me. Okay, um, let's talk about the New York Jets and Seattle Seahawks. Actually, a pretty interesting game. Uh, like, how about this? DK Metcalf at a very high price point could break the slate. There's no doubt about that. They're 13 and a half point favorites, 46 point total. Hey, maybe just maybe Chris Carson has that game, but what is Carlos Tide's workload going to be? That's another question. And how about this? Denzel Mims was just ruled out by Adam Gase earlier this morning. Does that mean that if Prashad Perriman plays, he gets a ton of work against this Seattle secondary. That's been dreadful all season. Sure. The last few games, they've made improvements, but they've also faced some awful passing offenses that I think we should probably keep in mind. This one sucks too, okay? But Jamison Crowder, uh, is it Braxton Berrios with Denzel Mims out? Just looking at some really, really dirt cheap guys here. If you're looking to say maybe, Matt, stack the Chiefs or play some really high-end players, that's why on this matchup show I think people appreciate we'll hit on everything because there's many different ways to construct a roster. And if you're playing in the Millie maker, sometimes you got to do some wild shit. <laughs> well said, well said. And somebody like Rashad Perryman, who we've already seen, you know, he's, he has a very, he has high variance as all wide receivers do, but when he pops, we've seen some really big ceiling weeks for him. And it looks like they're going to need points against the Seahawks this week. And, you know, just like last week, we were talking about the Jets side of the ball as a tournament option because we thought that the Raiders were going to get points somehow, some way. And they all happen to come from Darren Waller. That's how it goes sometimes. So and another thing we mentioned about the Jets last week in the matchups show is that quietly the Jets passing game has been really consolidated around three different receivers. We're talking top 10 in the league if you look at top duos or top trios in weighted opportunity share. So if you take one of those out, we have a possibility here where we have a game flow that requires scoring, even if they don't win, a game flow that just requires them to try to score points. And two primary receivers that are fairly cheap. I mean, 3,900 for Prashad Perryman against a team that allows over five points above opponent averages in fantasy points. That's 31st in the league. That's very exciting. Now, he only my expected projection still puts him just outside the top 30, but we're talking about someone who's outside the top 50 in salary. So when we talk about value plays, if we're going to play high price stacks, just like you said, this is a great place to look. But if you wanted to start a lineup on the other side and just start with Russ DK, Russ Lockett, 
and then go from there instead of the Chiefs or something like that, you're not crazy at all. They could absolutely blow up. Absolutely. And, you know, Brashad Perriman, his average, his, his ADOT this year is almost 15 yards. So are, is there some potential for a, a, a big splash play there? There is. And when we're talking about someone that's this cheap, Matt, I love knowing that all right, you have two different, there's a few different types of player. You have one that could, that you're hoping gives you, you know, six receptions for 40 yards, 50 yards, and maybe scores, but you know he's not going to really break something unless there's just totally busted coverage or some broken tackles. And then there's someone like Perriman who uh, actually is going to be in a position where he could see seven, eight, even nine targets, but also get a lot of downfield action. Those are the type of cheap guys I love the most, not just the spray and pray, hope that he gets three targets on the game. And one of them is a deep, basically Henry Ruggs at this point. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but there are, there are a few of those guys in the league. If we had more time, we could elaborate on what I'm talking about, but we have smart viewers and they know what I'm saying. Brashad Perriman though, in a spot like this is not only a potential deep threat, but also someone that could give you more than just a handful of targets. And at 3,900, against Seattle, while the quarterbacking hasn't been good in the Jets, in this Jets offense, there's nothing else that would really dissuade me from looking his way this week, especially with Mims already sidelined. Yeah, we've already seen three games this year where Perriman has seven or more targets. In one of those games, he had over 25 fantasy points. He's had over 12 fantasy points in three of his last four games. We're not talking about a player who's been quiet, even though other players on his team that doesn't score touchdowns have been the one catching the touchdowns for the most part. So uh, I'm fine playing Perriman and also give some love to Jameson Crowder too. There's also a possibility where (laughs) with Mims out, we could just see Darnold peppering Crowder with short area targets, especially with no running game to be heard of. They basically use him as an extension of the short, short area game. You could see a really big game from him here. It's just, how easy or how tough is it going to be to get to him? I, I don't have the answer to that yet. I haven't built lineups. Ty Johnson is $4,700 now coming off a hundred yard performance where people actually played Frank Gore last week. Uh, quickly. Is there anything on him that, that stands out to you? Honestly, no, I, I hate playing these kinds of running backs who we're not even sure. Could Josh Adams get more work? Uh, I don't know. I'm not playing the jets running, running game. You're a stronger person than I, if you do so. I don't think Gore is going to play, but yeah, this is still not a spot I am intrigued by. But I do think if you're looking to take down a tournament, DK Metcalf could be the guy. He's one of the handful of receivers in this league that at the end of the game could have 200 yards and two touchdowns, and you wouldn't blink an eye. Uh, he's done amazing things this season. Uh, you know, even against Philly, he, he was kept out of the end zone, but he had 10 for 177 against Darius Slay. Buffalo, 100 yards plus. San Francisco, 161 and 2. 93 and 2 against Minnesota. The the list goes on 110 and a score against Dallas. 92 and 1 against Gilmore. Matt, he's just, he has that upside to do some insanely big things. And given that he's 8,400 and he's priced in the same neighborhood as so many other elite receivers, I think you're going to see his ownership come down pretty low. And right now it is under 6%. It's 3.5% right now. Uh, Sorry to say this, but I'm willing to take some shots. I don't care how expensive he is. Yeah, especially if you're talking about 
players who have a slightly lower median projection compared to their salary base expectation at the wide receiver position. I'm, I'm kind of comparing DK Metcalf and AJ Brown this week. And I want DK Metcalf almost a hundred percent of the time in that comparison just this week. I still love AJ Brown as a talent, but when you look at the, the matchup, the fantasy points allowed versus expectation, the expected fantasy points, you're talking about a top three receiver. And I thought when Jim Schwartz said, uh, the Philadelphia defensive coordinator said that DK Metcalf reminded him of Calvin Johnson. And I know there was a little beef that started because of that. I thought that was kind of an apt comparison. Now, hey, DK, by the way, he, he wasn't trying to insult him. It I don't think not, so either. I, I knew you'd have a take. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. But what he said was, you're not there yet, but like you're basically going to be Calvin Johnson. And then DK Metcalf took it as an insult. Like, okay, great. You came out, you had a big game. Fine. But he wasn't insulting him. That's as great a compliment as you could ever have. Hey, you remind me of the best, maybe the best receiver, or would have been potentially the best receiver we've ever seen. That's not an insult. And I thought no. that was such a corny story. That this reminds me of uh, the Richard Sherman, anything can be locker room material. Yeah, he didn't exactly. shake my hand exactly. first, therefore it's locker room material. Yeah, exactly. it's nothing. I also want to say I know players are going to get a little bit of sticker shock too with Tyler Lockett being the ninth highest salary wide receiver on the slate. Yes, we know that the matchup is good. They're a bottom five defense that they're facing. But also, if you just look at expected fantasy points over the course of the year, stay the course with Lockett. He's still a top 10 wide receiver, and he's performing over expectation on a per-game basis still. I know it hasn't been a good few weeks for him, but I think if you want to play him in tournaments, especially when you're talking about a top seven team in our top stacks tool, no problem with Lockett either. 381 passing yards allowed to Las Vegas last week. Darren Waller, slate-breaking game. Uh, 366 to the Chargers a couple weeks back. Huge. 446 to Patrick Mahomes. 307 to Josh Allen. 380 to Kyler Murray. 312 to Josh Allen again. I mean, Matt, when you look at some of the, the monster passing games that they've allowed to opposing offenses, someone on this Seattle team is going to go up. I'm telling you that right now. Can I guarantee you it's going to be either Metcalf or Lockett? No, maybe DJ Moore. No, I can't. Someone is going to pop off. And I'm not going to be DJ Moore. What's that? You you met David Moore. David David Moore, my fault. Did I say DJ Moore? David Moore. Uh, I'm going to try and be there for that, at least to have some of whichever one it's going to be. And you know what the great part is? You're not going to have to do a lot to get there because both of these guys are going to be low on. Okay, let's talk about oh, very, very quickly because we've got, what, five games to go after this. Any thoughts on the backfield situation for the Seahawks? Yeah, absolutely. Chris Carson, they admitted, wasn't 100%. You got to assume that he's closer to 100% at this point than he has been in the last few weeks. And you're talking about a massive, massive favorite running back, a home favorite running back. We always fundamentally are interested in those kinds of starters. Yes, Carlos Hyde still could get mixed in for valuable looks, I'm willing to go there, especially in a tournament. It's also not impossible to have Carson and Wilson go off. So you, I, I don't hate it if you want to stack it that way and just get access to all of the Seahawks points this week. Yeah, by the way, you know who's going to be seeing a lot of DK Metcalf this week? Lamar Jackson. <laughs> and uh, no, that's not the quarterback, Lamar Jackson. That's a cornerback that you've very likely never heard of. So, oh, my God, this could be ugly. Yeah, I saw a tweet that was like, 
you know, Marcus May is a pretty good, uh, pretty good player in the secondary for the Jets. Beyond that, it was like a fifth, a fifth round player, an undrafted player, and an undrafted player finished the game in the secondary last week for the Jets. Could get. I'm up. calling out sick. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm Lamar Jackson. I'm calling out sick. Retiring at halftime. I got the Rona. Sorry. What can I say? Uh, to quarantine, baby. Indianapolis, Las Vegas. Again, Darren Waller coming off a huge performance against those very Jets that we just spoke of last week. Now he gets a difficult matchup, or at least more difficult, against the Colts who are laying two and a half on the road. This game does have a 51 and a half point total, though, Matt. We can start with the Colts side of the ball and try and decipher what in the hell is going to happen from week to week. T.Y. Hilton finally coming off, finally putting up his first 100-yard performance of the season. And for someone that hadn't scored a single touchdown, he now has back-to-back games with a score. And ready for this? His two highest yardage totals of the season as well. I don't know what to make of this. I don't want to read into it too much. But can T.Y. Hilton do it again? Well, we have relied on touchdowns to get him over the top from a fantasy standpoint. But like you said, the yardage has also been there. That's exciting. My anecdotal belief is that Michael Pittman is playing fantastic football. And even when he's not getting the ball, he's making T.Y. Hilton's life easier. Now, I also think the one-on-one matchup, it looks like, uh, especially in the first half last week, Hilton was just one-on-one with Vernon Hargraves, and he torched, torched graves and that's really why he had such a big first half i'm still looking at a colts offense that i know is going to probably put up fantasy points but it's one of the most difficult teams from week to week to figure out where this ball is going to go and philip rivers you know give him credit he's had a couple of monster games this year where he's been very viable even in large field tournaments but he's still 22nd in expected fantasy points and he's still you know, the pace has been pretty good, but we're still talking about a team that doesn't mind leaning on the rush or short area passing game and just having their defense, which, by the way, is one of the strongest defenses in the league in expected points allowed per drive and expected points subtracted per play, basically forcing the game script of the other team. I'm taking the under here, by the way. I, I think that the Colts give the Raiders plenty of tough time and they don't have to score a lot of points themselves and win this game. All right. I like that call. And I don't really have much to add on the Colts. It's simply not a team that I think you need to be overweight on, uh, at least not now. And the field is basically saying the same thing, Matt. Nobody projected for over 5% uh, in in our ownership projections. Matter of fact, Phillip Rivers is at 5%. Everyone else is below that. You wanted to take some some stray shots on T.Y. Hilton. I don't think that's actually the worst idea. Um, And... You know, if this game does happen to go over, it feels like Hilton probably is involved. Maybe you have Waller on the other side of it. But it sucks trying to, to, to get the stack right with Las Vegas too, Matt, because outside of Waller, you're essentially working with a bunch of guys that have no predictability factor whatsoever. Um, you know, people won tournaments, won massive tournaments, million dollars with Henry Ruggs last week. You know, thank your football gods there. We all need luck to go our way, right? Uh, and, and I'm not... I don't think anyone should be bitter over it because hopefully once in a while that'll balance out and go your way. But not only should that never have happened, but he should never have been that open and they should never even have been in that position. So it made Mm -hmm. it, it worked. Greg Williams was fired the next day, but that doesn't give me any confidence that players not named Darren Waller can give me what I need in game stacks. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> you were you were throwing some salt on Devontae Booker all week. Credit to you. Now, 
fading Devontae Booker didn't win you a tournament, but there were better value plays at the running back position. So we can't just say play a running back against the Jets, uh, although I still like Chris Carson this week. Uh, <laughs> it'd be the Derek Carr, Darren Waller stack at 12.8K combined salary is still somewhat intriguing to me. It, it doesn't look fantastic on our top stacks tool this week, 12th for Derek Carr, but I still think I might go there. The big question is, does this solid defense on the Indianapolis side just sort of say keep away or play keep away from Darren Waller and just force somebody else to make a play without all out blitzing? Because that really is the only reason Henry Ruggs was available for that huge Hail Mary. We saw a quiet game from Nelson Aguilar. He's now 40th in wide receiver salary, but you know, nothing pops off the page from a matchup standpoint for either Aguilar, Renfro, or Ruggs. You know, honestly, Renfro, who is 4,000 outside the top 50 wide receivers, is the off-the-wall play that I'm kind of looking at. But Josh Jacobs still isn't practicing. Not excited for that, even if he does play. Um, I, I almost think that this is either a stay-away game or I have an off-the-wall stack with the Colts in a large field tournament. And I know I've said this before, but you can always play Phillip Rivers and his pass-catching running back. So if you don't know where else to go and you feel like you need an option as a run back, play Naheem Hines. It's fine. All right. I like it. Green Bay and Detroit. We've got four to go here. Green Bay on the road against the Lions uh, coming into their second game without Matt Patricia. And uh, what's their – I forget the GM's name. I can't remember. Daryl Bevel, though, as the interim coach here. We need to give them a little bit of credit, right? They came from behind last week, get the win over the over the Chicago Bears, who are now I think they went from five and one to like five and seven. Things are just, you know, or five and six. I don't know what it is. Not looking good. Let's let's say that much, Matt. That's all we need. Uh, but they they played well, and and I was pretty impressed with it. Adrian Peterson once again. Uh, I mean, my God, he has dashed hopes and dreams for so many people this season. <laughs> and if you played him on Thanksgiving, or if you played him last week, you were pretty happy. But the big thing I want to start with here is Aaron Jones. What do we do with him in a spectacular matchup, but still some concern that Jamal Williams gets worked in or Aaron Rodgers just airs it out to Devontae Adams. And and once again, Aaron Jones, unless he gets a 70-yard touchdown like we saw late in the game last week as they wore down that Philly defense, doesn't get those goal line touches again. Uh, I'll probably eat my words, but I'm doing it again. I'm going back to the well with Aaron Jones. There's too much to like here. It's a fantastic matchup for all of the Packers. So obviously I wrote my data deep dive. This might be the biggest Devontae Adams smash spot of them all this year, but that doesn't preclude Aaron Jones or any of the running backs for that matter from having monster games. You look at expected fantasy points. He's fourth in the league in expected fantasy points, and he's actually performing above expectation on a per game basis. And then if you look at fantasy points allowed versus opponent averages, the lions are last in the league dead last in the league. So I, I, I really, really like it for Aaron Jones. He comes in my X projection stamp uh, stat that I've talked about a couple times this week. He comes out second among all running backs, making his fourth highest salary among running backs, you know, pretty good. Not, not bad. And you, I wouldn't call him a value, but at 7,600, I'm fine. Absolutely fine going there. And as the tournament field gets larger, that's when I'm more likely to switch over to Jamal Williams just because, yeah, is it possible that he could get two goal line carries and two touchdowns? 
absolutely. That's the kind of game it could be for, for really either back. I'm with you. I kind of wish I wasn't because I don't know how this is going to turn out, but uh, this could also just be a game. Again, Aaron Jones has tournament winning upside. He has slate breaking upside, and that's something that needs to be considered. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, 7,500 on DraftKings. And by the way, the FanDuel strategy show coming up later today, if you guys are playing heavily on FanDuel or want to get a FanDuel-specific take on that, be sure to check it out. Matt Kajeski, Kyle Dvorak coming up later this afternoon. I think 2 Eastern. It's a great show, and you should watch it. Uh, Devontae Adams, 9,300. I've been saying, Matt, he's the closest thing to a bell cow running back that isn't a bell cow running back that there is in the league. Well said, yeah. I mean – just from an expected fantasy point standpoint, he just looks so different than the rest of the wide receiver position. I'm, I like that call a lot. And the way Aaron Rodgers has just been playing with the exception of that one Tampa Bay blip on blip on the radar. He's just been, you know, arguably an MVP caliber player. So absolutely fine with it. All right. Anything else here on the uh, Packers side of the ball before we move to Detroit? I'm kind of done playing these auxiliary options besides Jamal Williams here. If I'm going to play the Packers, I'm getting the high-profile players. I'm getting Aaron Rodgers. I'm getting Devontae Adams, and I'm probably even sticking with Aaron Jones. Like you said, tournament-winning upside for for Jones and that very simple passing stack. Yeah. I don't know if DeAndre Swift is going to play, which is really unfortunate because, man, it, it looked like things were looking – things were turning up for him, and we were turning that corner and starting to see, okay – 29 carries in two games. In one of those games, Adrian Peterson got worked in almost zero. And then he comes roaring his ugly head back into this mix. No fault of his own. DeAndre Swift got hurt and uh, had that concussion, which kept him out longer than we would have anticipated. And now he's down with an illness, uh, non-COVID related, but he was a limited participant yesterday. I don't even know if he's going to be active, but even if he is, like, does Bevel continue to use Peterson and, and, and DeAndre Swift doesn't get worked in enough? It's 6,500. I'm not sure I'm willing to take that risk. Yeah, it's pr- a pretty high salary to take a risk like that. It was great that we have a one-game sample size of what Swift could be with, you know, with the doors blown open, with him getting all the workload. But that also, that enticing upside is going to boost his uh, his ownership projection because we've already seen that upside game from him. This kind of reminds me of, I believe, the 2015 season when Tevin Coleman and Devonta Freeman were the backs in Atlanta. And Tevin Coleman had this amazing game early in the season. And Devonta Freeman was basically a non-factor. And then Coleman got hurt. And then Coleman fell in the shower and got concussed, if you remember that. And Devonta Freeman just kind of took over, did little by little, was part of a, a pass-happy Falcons attack. And suddenly was fantasy viable to the point where all the other running backs that year faded away and he became one of the worst running back ones in fantasy football history. Not saying that that is Adrian Peterson's upside here, but I am saying he's not going away. I really think you're a year away from DeAndre Swift. I really hope I'm wrong. As somebody bet on him in season-long leagues and in dynasty leagues, I have high hopes for him. But I still think he's just not right from this concussion. And frankly, from a long-term standpoint, I want him to. I want him to get right over the long term. And that means, uh, especially in this yeah, basically unexciting offense without Kenny Galladay expected back either, I'm going to Adrian Peterson as a gross tournament play, or I'm possibly just going back to Marvin Jones, whose salary is boosted now. He's 5,823rd among wide receivers. So even that makes it tough. Uh, I, 2021, we're going to be talking about Swift all the time, I promise you. <laughs> 
Oh, I know. I hope so, because I got him in a bunch of dynasty spots, Matt, and I would feel very good knowing that he was going to be the lead guy. And I think we should be pretty confident that he will be. I don't. Yeah. Why? Why? Why wouldn't he be? Like, what is? What is there? Is there anything that we should assume that will obstruct him from getting there? The the very quick answer: No. All right. Uh, anything for the passing game from Detroit? Yeah, I mean, it's exciting to see Marvin Jones sort of come to life a little bit in my data deep dive. At least he's popping a little bit in terms of true weighted opportunity share. But I think we've said this before. Matt Stafford, TJ Hawkinson, and Marvin Jones as your primary options to move the ball in 2020 is not a strong offense. 18th on our top stack tool, 18th in adjusted pace. Just not an exciting offense right now without their big playmakers. All right. I don't think we need to go much further with that. Uh, plus, Green Bay pass defense, it's good enough for me to, to kind of look away from that and say, I'm not really missing much here. I don't know how much you'd be missing in this Washington-San Francisco game either, but I can tell you this much. With Washington uh, three-point dogs on the road coming off a upset victory against the Steelers where they knocked them out of undefeatedness, Matt. There's a new word for you. Undefeatedness. <laughs> Unbeatenness. Now, they were 11-0, and now they're 11-1 because Alex Smith crushed them along with Logan Thomas, and it was pretty impressive. And you heard the cries from the mountaintops. They are overrated. Steelers are frauds. <laughs> they stink. Roethlisberger's washed. While some of that might be true, I don't think they're necessarily overrated. I think most teams never go undefeated, number one. They faced an easy schedule, but losing Bud Dupree and several key pieces to that defense – is going to really hurt them. And you can't keep having guys like Deontay Johnson drop passes that would otherwise go for long first downs or touchdowns. I'm not making excuses for them. As a matter of fact, I can't stand the Steelers. But I can tell you this much. Washington is playing pretty decent football, and we have to give them some respect as well. And J.D. McKissick saw 10 targets last game after Antonio Gibson went down. We've seen Alex Smith very willing to turn to him in the past. Uh, so double-digit targets last game, uh, five carries. You don't expect much on the ground. But with Antonio Gibson unlikely to play, doubtful right now, we have to start this off with, with J.D. McKissick. Yeah, we absolutely do. And just to say one thing about the Steelers' offense, boy, did they play terribly last week. But the only way you get drops is if you get targets. And you get targets because you're open. And in my data deep dive, the Steelers have four players in the top 25 in true uh in true weighted opportunity rating so it's just a really pass happy offense right now so back to jd mckissick i know it's hard to to kind of compartmentalize all the touches that a running back gets in a game and we know that jd mckissick isn't a bell cow back per se but in my data deep dive and i know i brought up the stat a lot quality opportunities per game that's targets and goal line carries he's higher than dalvin cook jd mckissick is He's next to Christian McCaffrey over the last eight weeks, which I believe is only a one-game sample size. He's next to Alvin Kamara in this statistic. So, yes, we know that is mostly 96%, in fact, target-based, not goal line carry-based. But when you're talking about Antonio Gibson being doubtful for this game and you're talking about McKissick's salary at 4900 outside the top 30 running backs, that's an exciting play. It feels a little bit like I'm playing Tariq Cohen when David Montgomery's out, 
But we're talking about a, a player in Alex Smith who wants to dump the ball off as many plays per game as he can and give credit. He's not making mistakes, and that's what's keeping Washington with their great defense in games. So that's the first place I'm looking. Again, if I can find a way to play Terry McLaurin, that might change my opinion. But his matchup doesn't look great. Value running back, J.D. McKissick, I don't mind the call at all. FF Doom says McKissick, 12 catches for 50 total yards, question mark, LOL. Listen, if, if you can, if, if you were projecting him for 10, or if you were projecting him for 12 receptions and 50 total yards, not factoring in touchdowns, you are taking that 100 times out of 100, Matt. Right? It, it, we can't, we're not projecting yards here. And no one's pretending that McKissick is going to be, uh, you know, ripping off 20-yard receptions every time. But if you're projecting a running back at 4,900, you're projecting him for double-digit targets, and I'm not suggesting that's the case, and maybe five to ten carries, because Peyton Barber stinks. I wouldn't be surprised if McKissick got even more and started taking over the backfield touches as well. There's there's a lot to like there. I will take volume all day. Absolutely. Um, all day. And does he have any touchdown equity? I don't know. I think we'll find out, but... I can't exactly say I'm confident that Peyton Barber is going to be punching him into the end zone either. 4,900. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the the stat line that just got described in chat is 3.5x value. That's that's your red fire sign next not to J.D. Not including McKissick. any touchdown. Not including any, you know, fractional touchdown projection either. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, it's going to be high-owned. Maybe in tournaments it doesn't make sense depending on how you're constructing your lineup. But this is, this is one of those value plays that we find every week, and he has very unique usage. It's a very interesting play in an uninteresting offense. Sure. Yeah, and you're right, though. He's going to be relatively popular. I'm not, I have no, I'm not opposed at all to getting away from McKissick in some large-field tournaments at all. But what I'm saying is if you're projecting him to have those type of numbers, then you're going to want to have a lot of them or at least a decent amount. Uh, do you like Terry McLaurin or, or Logan Thomas going back to him coming off that career game from last week? I think Terry McLaurin is one of the top 10 receivers in the in the game right now. If you look at true weighted opportunity share, he's one of the highest utilized receivers uh, in terms of team metrics. And I know we don't have one of the most ha- pass-happy teams in Washington this season. They're 15th in adjusted pace and 22nd in adjusted rush rate. So McLaurin... 6,700, 13th among active wide receivers, and 16th in expected fantasy points. Yeah, I'm fine going there. That's a tournament option more so than a cash option. But, of course, I think he's an extremely talented receiver. You're going to need efficiency or a touchdown for him to hit. We really like some other players in that salary range, which means that I'm going to have to consciously get there if I'm crunching lineups. But I certainly don't hate it. All right. Yeah, Logan Thomas, just given that price point, tight end position is really bad this week. Oh, is he 3,300? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have some Logan Thomas. I, I Absolutely. As it is most weeks, but, man, 3,300 without Antonio Gibson, who has been their primary playmaker moving the ball downfield alongside Terry McLaurin, of course. Uh, I, I think we can go back there. I wouldn't be surprised if he saw another, you know, seven to nine targets for Logan Thomas again in this game. I don't know if he's going to be ripping off 30-yard receptions, but there's there's still some opportunity to be had there. Um, I don't really have much on the San Francisco side. Brandon Ayuk has been very good, and many people were disappointed because they had Debo Samuel last week. But Ayuk's $5,400. I'll throw him into the mix here. Aside from that, I'm not necessarily sure what I want to do with this Niners team, Matt. So you got the mic. 
Yeah, Nick Mullins, uh, he's been basically league average in quarterback efficiency, which, you know, hats off to, we said it about the Jaguars, whenever you get a backup quarterback, you, you, you basically think that they're going to have, from an efficiency standpoint, a much more difficult time. That hasn't been the case. One player I do want to point out is Jeff Wilson. While the overall opportunity isn't that high, expected fantasy points, he's just 30th among running backs. But again, that quality opportunity statistic that I love to I love to talk about, he's much, much higher than any other 49ers running back. And what's really interesting is only 58% of his quality opportunities have come via targets, which means that 40, 42% or so has come via goal line carries and, or excuse me, 52. I can't do math, but we're going to get a huge amount of goal line options from this running back specifically. Uh, I don't hate it. He's a tournament option, but that's really the only place other than Ayuk I'm looking, maybe a little Debo sprinkled in there. All right. I don't have much to add to that. I'm with you. I would say ultimately the, the the ground game is a little bit concerning. They were behind so early last week that it's hard to say. Uh, if Raheem Mostert was more reasonably priced, I'd be talking a lot more about him, Matt, because I still expect him as the most talented running back to get the most work in favorable game scripts, which could be the case. But he's, he'd need to be like mid-5K for me right now to, to get to him, and he's not. So I'm happy to move on to our two final games. The New Orleans Saints at Philadelphia is the one we'll hit on now. They're seven-point road favorites at Lincoln Financial Field. Another low total, right? 43-and-a-half in that San Francisco-Washington game. Now 44 in this one. Uh, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned it, but that Detroit-Green Bay game is a 55-and-a-half point total. It's a big number. Uh, 44 points here, though, in Philly. New Orleans just has been a tough team to predict recently. We thought maybe Breeze would return and be activated and play earlier in the week, but it appears that that will not be the case, and Taysom Hill will get another start, which also means that Alvin Kamara's value uh, dramatically declines, and I guess Michael Thomas is fine at 7,100 because he's had two strong games with Taysom Hill at quarterback, but we'd both rather have Drew Breeze. Yeah, of course. And I mean, we'd see the game total way, way higher if Drew Brees was playing. But what's really interesting, if you look at the quarterback play on the Saints from an advanced metric standpoint, and actually you'll be able to see this on my new matchups column that comes out later this week. I I have a graph that shows one of the, it just shows the three main advanced metrics that I use to compare quarterbacks, true drive success rate, which is your ability to turn drives into touchdowns, expected points added per play and completion percentage over expectation. And what's hilarious is that Taysom Hill and Drew Brees are almost right next to each other on all three metrics, meaning they're running essentially from a per play and per drive and per pass standpoint, they're playing the same level of football. Now it looks different to the eye, but Sean Payton doesn't care how it's happening. They're getting victories. You know, if you talk about Sean Payton's record with backup quarterbacks over the last two seasons, I mean, you've got to give a hat tip to him. With Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill, he's figured out a way to change the offense in a really meaningful way while still getting the same efficiency. So I'm fine playing Taysom Hill with his rushing upside as the ninth highest salary quarterback on the slate at 6,600. And you better believe if I'm fine playing him, then I'm fine playing Michael Thomas. He's in the top 10 receivers in salary, as we would expect at 7,100. But the Osmo projection, the median projection looks really, really good for Thomas inside the top five this week. And the ownership, you know, it looks like he's going to be top 12 or so, but nothing gigantic. Again, a huge amount of games on this slate. 
I'm fine with a Hill Thomas stack. Let's start with the easy with the easiest stack with the the Saints that you could have. Okay, I like it. Guys, hit that thumbs up too. I know it's a long show. Appreciate many of you for sticking with us throughout all of this. Uh, we got about 530 people watching right now, so we get that up as, as high as we can. And if you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, if you like what we do here and you want to help support us, it's the easiest way to do so. And we appreciate all you guys for doing that. On the uh, Philadelphia side of the ball, I want nothing. I, I'm telling you right now, Jalen Hurts, um, is he going to be better than Wentz? I don't know. It's hard to be worse than Wentz. Uh, is he going to be worse than Wentz? Well, probably not, but he could be just as bad. And, well, the coaching's been terrible. The receivers can't get any separation. The offensive line can't block. And when the offensive line does block, Wentz was throwing picks. Jalen Hurts actually had a few really nice touch passes, one on a fourth and long. Uh, it was a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And then another one down the, down the left sideline that went to Jalen Rager for like 30 yards. He made a couple nice plays against Green Bay last week. But the Saints defense – is 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 no cakewalk whatsoever and i think this could be a very very ugly first you know an initial baptism into the league here could be difficult for jalen hurts in a spot like this and i don't see anybody on this team that i really feel like getting to on a 13 game slate map yeah it's going to be a situation where unless you feel like you have information that others don't i don't see how you get really excited about anyone in this spot I do like the idea of playing Jalen Hurts naked in a large field tournament just because you know you you have the rushing upside and the fact that the Saints are smothering defensively against running backs this season. They're giving up nine points less than fantasy points opponent averages, nine fantasy points less, that is. That's first in the league. So if you look at my expected projection statistic for Miles Sanders, he, he Sanders, excuse me, comes in outside the top 35 running backs. Needless to say, I'm not playing him as the 13th highest salary running back on this slate. And again, we have a very small sample size of how this passing offense is going to be utilized with Hertz. At least you saw some players come to life. Like I, I love that first touchdown pass, but it's and then not Rager had that punt return touchdown immediately following it. And even Zach Ertz got involved with Hertz with Hertz in the lineup. And I like that Hertz Ertz rhyming scheme. So maybe I'll just do that, but I, I digress. I really think it's a situation where unless you got a cojones, I don't know how you get excited about any Eagles receiver. And what I'm really hoping for is Jalen Hurts just has to run the ball all over because that's the only way they can rush in this game. John Righteous said, never in my life have I heard someone talk so much, saying so little. This guy, Laffy, needs to learn how to get to the point. <laughs> Good stuff. I don't know. I'd say it was getting through 13 games in an hour and 45 minutes is somewhat of a skill, Matt. Ah, and you had that expert transition before. I don't know what this guy's thinking. I, I, <laughs> I agree to disagree. Well, thanks for watching anyway, Johnny. <laughs> you want to move to Atlanta and the L.A. Chargers last game? Yeah, yeah let's do it. By the way, thanks to Jordan Klein producing. This guy's in the producer chair like all day long. It's, it's impressive Beast stuff. Mode. So appreciate you, man. Uh, show Jordan some love. Atlanta at the Chargers. Falcons, uh, two and a half point favorites. Is that right? Did I get that right? Why yeah, they're favorite. Like, why do I feel like they shouldn't be? They are. Okay. Two and a half point road favorites, Matt, traveling east to west. 49 and a half point total. Julio Jones is coming in at a, a very reasonable price point, 6,600, which is going to translate to some ownership for sure. Uh, and then really Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, 
Nobody getting absurd ownership. Uh, at the time, if you look at our top stack tool, Matt Ryan is coming in around 5.8%. Similar top stack probability, nothing crazy here. And I've heard a lot of talk about Todd Gurley coming back to the stadium that he helped build. Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> they need to build the man some new knees because until then, I'm not touching him this week. What do you have to say about the Falcons? Yeah, I saw exactly what you saw, which is there's a little bit more confidence from the public in Julio Jones. And now they're getting excited about the fact that he has a salary that's below Calvin Ridley's. Ridley's is 7,500 this week on DraftKings. Julio Jones down at 6,600. He's the 14th highest wide receiver in terms of salary. I'm going to say something that I, the opposite of what I said last week, which is now I want to be, I want to pay up to be contrarian with Calvin Ridley. I, the matchup isn't fantastic, but if you look at fantasy points allowed over opponent average, you're looking at a defense that gives up about one point per game more to wide receivers than their average. And if you look at my X projection statistic, again, Calvin Ridley comes in right at salary base expectation, right at, as the wide receiver eight. So I think he's a solid, solid tournament option, especially with his high stack probability with Matt Ryan. Like you said, Todd Gurley needs to basically drop into the end zone a couple of times in order to be a value. I just want the passing game and I want the less owned player who you can't really argue he's healthier right now. And when Jones is on the field, I like Ridley even more. So that's definitely where I'm going. It looks like at least on my notes here, he's outside the top 15 wide receivers in projected ownership. I'm great with that. I, um, I was surprised to see Edo Smith last week getting the same workload as, as Todd Gurley coming off of a solid game from Smith when Gurley was out before. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not necessarily convinced that Gurley's going to get the lion's share of work this week, but there's not really much reason to talk about it because I'm just not really interested in getting there. So you want to go to uh, the Chargers and close this one out? Yeah, let's close it out. I, obviously, we're more excited about the Chargers side of the ball. Yes, they put up a huge, huge dud against the Patriots. You know, sometimes Bill Belichick wins the game before the first snap, and that's kind of what it looked like last week. Justin Herbert's still having a very fine rookie year. Uh, the only thing that is a little troubling is that all of these players are priced up for the matchup with the Falcons. Basically, all of the matchup-related statistics I could tell you, like fantasy points allowed over opponent average, is built into the player's salary. So I'm going to use a game theory, game theory for the most part with this team. I am going to have stacks with Herbert being in the top 10 in our top stacks tool, and I'm completely fine with still considering Austin Eckler a running back one really pops in my data deep dive. He's being used basically like Christian McCaffrey West, especially without him this year. I mean, when you start, talk about quality opportunities, as I have over and over this week, you can't really do better than Austin Eckler. Even in a game script where they could be playing from behind, which actually surprised me as well, totally fine. What about Keenan Allen's price point, 7,700? Because I agree with you entirely on Eckler. It was brutal last week. Um that game was out of reach from the beginning. The, the defense, special teams, everything there, everything that could have possibly gone wrong did. They only had 33 fewer yards than the Patriots, and they got outscored 45 nothing. Matt, I mean, when's the last time you've seen some nonsense like that? So uh, Keenan Allen, definitely a chance to bounce back here in what Absolutely. should be a close game, less than a field goal spread. He's seen double-digit targets in all but one game since week seven and all but two since week two. 
you don't get a lot of opportunities like that, but on a 13 game slate, what is the rationale for getting to him or getting away from him when there are so many other great wide receivers in a similar price range? The, the argument for getting away from him is really just the wide receiver position has a ton of variance, and we're not sure that the fourth highest salary wide receiver is going to blow up. But boy, do a lot of things point to him blowing up in this spot. Fantasy points allowed over opponent average. The Falcons are 26th in the league in, in fantasy points allowed over opponent average, almost three points per game. So if you look at expected projection, which compares the expected points and then puts it up against that matchup, it's right in line with salary-based expectations, which means to me that Keenan Allen is a great tournament option. But if you look at the median projections, that's what the, the projections page on Osimo's uh, website is, he's about 12th among wide receivers, which makes his wide receiver four salary pretty darn steep. I just wanted to hint you to the upside there because it absolutely still exists. Just makes it a better tournament play than in cash. All right. Anything else from this one before we wrap it up? Yeah, Hunter Henry, sixth in salary. Again, priced up for matchup, but the 32nd, the Falcons are 32nd in the league against tight ends and that same fantasy points allowed versus opponent average. Totally fine going there. He actually grades out second in my expected projection metric among tight ends. Hour and 45 in the books for 13 games. That's not bad. We did, we did good. Johnny, Johnny would suggest otherwise, Matt. <laughs> Guys, we got a giveaway over at awesome underscore com on Twitter. Check that out. Uh, it is a free year of Awesome Plus NFL content. So next year, you could get the entire season for free, whichever way you want to do it. Uh, I think it's probably a full calendar year, as a matter of fact. Uh, just guess who has more yards passing tonight in the Thursday night football game, Cam or Goff. And check out the strategy show that was just done with Matt Kajewski and myself. Be ready for the Live Before Lock tonight and the FanDuel strategy show coming up with Matt Kajewski and Kyle Dvorak. And, of course, check out our boy Matt Savoka his matchups column and his data deep dive. They're free at awesome.com. And we've also got some free content today. If you were wondering, it is Thursday, which means the NFL rankings and the NFL showdown ownership projections, both of them free along with the MMA rankings, check it all out. And remember Caruso gets you $1 NBA platinum weekly, including the preseason. Check it out as well. We'll see you back here soon, guys. Good luck this week. <laughs>